0: Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to come before you and to share the ministry of the word and that you will teach us from your word. And we just thank you in your son's precious name. Amen. Amen. Ephesians chapter 5, 21. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. He is the, salvation, the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be, also be subject to their own husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish." So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loves his wife loves himself, for no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourished and cherished it, even as the Lord, the church. For we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his wife and mother, excuse me, leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife. Terrible reading down a sentence. And they should, the two shall be one flesh. This is the great mystery I, that I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in participate, in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. So we just wanted to read this whole thing in context. This has been considered the hard sayings of women have had a hard time with this, and I'm actually going to flip the order of this. Section I'm going to do the men first because <laughs> men have a habit of trying to skip out on the second half of this message because they know what's coming. So we'll be we'll do the men first this week, but I do want to start off with verse 21 submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. I have heard a lot of very strange teaching on that verse, and in light of what we talked about last week on submission, this verse should be fairly simple. I've heard a lot of people try to teach this verse as a way of of, kind of softening the blow of submission. They'll, they'll go, well, see, we're all supposed to submit one to another. And it sounds really good when you take it into English. But if you remember last week, we told you that that word submit means to arrange un- under. And it really is just telling us to arrange ourselves in proper positions <laughs> under one another. Okay? And you'll hear people, they'll go, because they want to soften the rest of this whole... Paragraph, you know, a paragraph that Paul goes into the though, well, yeah, everybody just to submit one to another. You know, and that is a true statement if you understand submission. <laughs> those who have rulership are to be considered the rulers and those who don't submit to those. And that goes all the way through the church and, and all of our relationships. And we covered that last week, you know, a lot of the different relationships that were out there. Uh, husbands to wives, uh, people to the government, all the things that we covered out there. The, the shepherds to, the pastors to Jesus, and then the church to, to the shepherd and then to Jesus. We've covered all of that, and that's all that verse means. <laughs> Arrange yourself properly one to another. And, but like I said, you're gonna hear, and you hear it a lot because they're trying to soften this whole submission idea, saying, well, yeah, why are you supposed to submit to your husband? Well, by the same token, they're supposed to submit to you, and that's not what the scriptures ever teach. It doesn't teach that the government is ever to submit to the people. Now we have a difference because we have a republic and a democracy, so we have some say in it, but we also, when the government makes up a laws, we are bound by those laws and technically can't go out and just change the rule because we are the people we, make, we elected them in. Now we can elect somebody else in who can change the laws, but we as the people just can't go into them and say, hey, you know, you're supposed to submit to us as well, see, it's says so in the Bible. And we know that it doesn't work that way. So I just wanted to bring that part out because that's—you'll hear if you listen to Christian radio, Christian TV. You're going to hear some very strange teaching on that verse, and I don't like it <laughs> because it is very much—and what they're trying to do is soften the rest of it. Rest of it. So we're going to skip down a couple verses and come back next week and do do 21 through 24. But we're going to start with husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also has loved the church and gave himself for it. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by his by the word. That he might present to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He, he that, loves his, that loves his wife loves himself. So we're going to stop there. Husbands are to love their wives one thing about men it's love is, ter- is ha- much harder for men than it is for women in general and God tells men to love their wives and the wives need love and that's something very important because the very last sentence says wives you're to reverence your husband or respect your husband and you know women have a harder time with the respect side of things than men do Men fight over respect. I mean, if you ever see men who feel that they've been disrespected, you're going to see men that are arguing and fighting with each other because they have had that disrespect. Men have a great need for respect. They need that idea that they're important, which is why they really gravitate to work. Because work shows them, I've accomplished something. And they gravitate to that because they, they get shown that they have accomplished something. But men are to love their wives. And this is not just the general love. This is the word for agape. Love them unconditionally no matter what they do or don't do. Yeah, that's a hard love to have that objective agape love that says, I choose to love somebody. When I, when I talk to people who are wanting to get married, I usually scare them away by the time I just get done with my first session on love. Because I talk about agape love, object, objective love. I'll even ask them, why do you love each other? It's kind of amazing when you ask that question to somebody who's in the throes of emotional love and they're, you know, well, why do you love this? And almost the very first answer you'll get is, well, they're, they're pretty or they're good looking. And my comment back is, okay, so tomorrow they get into an accident and they're disfigured, you're no longer going to love them. And when they're in the throes of the emotional love, that that's that question shocks them. Because they know that what they just gave you as an answer <laughs> isn't going to hold up with that. Then they'll usually go to, well, they've got a good personality. I like being with them. Okay, again, tomorrow they did a head injury and their personality totally changes so you're gonna not love them anymore the sad part in our world is most people get married in the throes of emotional love they're in lust with each other they're enamored with one another but they really aren't in love with one another usually now that love can be something that will stay if they will make a choice but right now, they're getting married, they're enamored with each other, and then three to four years later, you come, they'll come to you and say, well, we want a divorce, we never loved each other. And you know, the, the truth of the statement is, they never did love each other. God is telling the men, you are to love your wife. What is love? We've talked oftentimes about love. True love that sustains is love that objective, agape love that chooses to love. Terrible lack of emotional love, isn't it? <laughs> You're to get married without the emotional love. Now hopefully you have emotions for each other, you like, you like being with each other, you, you have that desire for that person, but it has to be much more than that. It has to be a chosen love. Because when you go through those hard times, the only thing that's gonna hold you together is say, well, I chose to love that person, and we've talked about that's God's love for us. He chooses to love us, and isn't it great that He chooses to love us? <laughs> because none of us deserve to be loved by God. None of us have the have this life that is so stellar that God just can't help being around us. He wants to be around us because He has chosen to love us. Now, maybe there's times we're on the mountaintop and we're looking at God and we're, and we're serving him and maybe there's that glimmer that he goes, okay, that's the child that I want for about three seconds. <laughs> but it's his love that keeps, a, keeps us. This is the love that men are to have with their wives. And it's easy to be irritated with people. We all do, don't we? Especially when you live with them. You get, you get irritated with people just that you're around but when you live with somebody you know it's kind of amazing how we all will do this but we, we kind of know the buttons to push on those that are close to us just to irritate them our kids knew that we even knew how to irritate our kids <laughs> you know we knew that if we did something it might not have been wrong but it would irritate them we know how to do it with our wives we know how to do it with the husbands with friends And for some reason, we get great pleasure out of pushing those buttons, don't we? And God's saying, love. Love that individual and and don't push those buttons. Don't try to irritate them. And you know, I don't know why we do it, but we do. Maybe it's that we feel we just want to have that power over them for a moment. You know, look what I did. I got them to react. They reacted, and I knew they'd react. Maybe we do it subconsciously. Maybe we do it... Consciously, I don't know. I've never looked in the psychology of it. I just know what happens. I know people push my buttons a lot, and I push back at times. The God is saying, love. Love your wives. And then he says, if we don't understand what that love is, he goes, as Christ loved the church. All the husbands have a hard, hard assignment. Love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for the church. Think about what Jesus did. He met with the Father before creation. The Father says, we're going to create man, they're going to sin, and Jesus, I want you to go die for them. Jesus says, "Okay." He leaves heaven, comes to this world as a baby. The creator of all the world, the one with all power, comes to this world as a helpless infant. That's love. <laughs> that is love. And then he spends his lifetime living a perfect life that we can't live. He was the God-man. He was emptied himself of all of his power and authority and lived as a man. 100% God, 100% man. God's math is always different than ours. No. He said, well, you can't be 100 and 100. You have to be 50-50. And God says, no, I'm 100% God, 100% man. Just as we have the Trinity, we have one God who's, who's three individuals, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and yet they're one. And we go, okay, one plus one plus one does not equal one. And yet God says in his math it does. In his way of thinking it does. But Jesus came to this world gave himself for us. Have you ever thought about what he went through? He was God at any point in time he could have said Father these people just aren't worth it I want to come back home. I don't even want to dwell amongst all these sinful people and yet he stayed and dwelt with us. Then he went to the cross and at the cross with all the pain he bore he could have said, Father, these people aren't worth it. You know, we'll just let them all go to hell and you and I and the, and the Spirit can get back together again and, and have fellowship and yet he stayed on the cross. The Father turned his back upon his son when he became sin. He became sin for us. The Father turned his back on him and he died. The wages of sin is death. He became sin and died for us. What love Jesus has for us. What a high standard He's put on husbands in the family. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself for it. Most of us husbands never reach that level. Hopefully we get close. We're willing to make sacrifices for our wives. Doesn't mean that we do everything that the wife wants. But we should be willing to say, "Okay, there's nothing wrong with this. I I can make this sacrifice. For us as husbands, how many times have we done that? Done something that was just for our wives. Maybe we didn't enjoy it at all, but we did it because It blessed them. But he also says that Jesus did this to cleanse his church. Jesus oftentimes puts the church through hard things, doesn't he? Hard times. Puts individuals through rough areas. If anybody has not had any rough area in your life, I'd love to talk to you and find out how you did it. (laughs) Because I've had plenty of rough areas in my life, rough times in my life. I've had plenty of times when I thought I was doing the right thing and did it and found out that it was not the right thing afterwards. And because I'm the father and the husband, my family suffered because of the bad decisions. We've all been there. Sometimes we just find ourselves making the wrong decision that we thought was right. Other times we've made wrong decisions that we knew were wrong just because we did not want to submit to God. We all have had that place in our life where we choose not to submit. I've had plenty of times where God says, are you ready to get rid of something? And I've told him no. God's pretty amazing though. He doesn't go to a new area when you tell him no. He sits there and keeps asking you, are you ready to get rid of the area you keep saying no about? And it usually makes life more difficult until you are ready to say, okay, God, I give up. Sometimes that happens even in the, in the husband and wife situation. The husband knows the direction God or thinks he knows the direction that God wants you to go into. And sometimes it just needs submission. But the good news, just as we talked about last week in submission, if you're submitted to somebody, the leader is the one that's responsible for the direction they take you in. There's great freedom in that. When I've been in other churches where I wasn't the pastor, there was great freedom in knowing that the pastor, whether, even when I thought he was doing the wrong thing, I didn't have to answer as long as I stayed submitted to that pastor. And the pastor would be standing before God saying, why did you go that way? Now, I'm the pastor held accountable for any decisions for this church. And God says, well, why, you know, he'll say, well, good or, or bad, but why did you make that decision? And you all just follow and you get to be covered by that same blessing I used to have I I was in a church one time where I really disagreed with the pastor and God kind of kept knocking me down and said you cannot disagree publicly with that pastor to this day I still think the pastor was wrong I really do but the news is being submitted to him I wasn't responsible for the decision that man when he stands before God will have to say and God says why didn't you do this and maybe he was right. I don't know. The fact that I thought he was wrong is doesn't really matter. Because <laughs> it wasn't my church. Same thing if I look at a family and I'm going, well, I think that father, that father and husband's making bad decisions. You know what? It really doesn't matter what I think. <coughs> it matters what God thinks between that, that that father, husband, and himself. And it's very important that we keep this in mind. <coughs> One of the revelations I've been getting is how many times do we have a checklist that we follow saying, here's what it means to be a good Christian. Read my Bible every day, pray to God, go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, uh, don't use the Lord's name in vain. Whatever your list is, we all have a list that we think is what God has shown us to live by. The problem is that I take my list and I look at the other person and I'm going, well, you're not living up to my list. Mm -hmm. Something's wrong with you. You know what though, they're holding their list up next to you and saying, uh, you're, not, you're not obeying everything on my checklist. <laughs> What's wrong with you? And God has told us that when we're spiritually mature and we have permission, and Paul was very good on, and clear on this. He told you if you're spiritually mature enough to go down and get by the meat offered to an idol and eat it and it doesn't bother you, fine. But if it bothers your, in the, your young brother or sister who can't understand how you can eat the food given to an idol, he says don't do it in front of them to cause them a problem. The real mark of a mature Christian is one who can say, okay, God's allowed me to do this, but I won't do it in front of somebody else who has trouble with it. Because you will do one of two things. You'll either make, get them to judge you for your freedom or even worse yet, They may look at you and say, well, they've been around God for a long time, they can do it and they eat believing that it's wrong and commit a sin that way as well. It's critical the way we live in front of one another, the way we live and monitor our families because we can lead somebody to make bad decisions so easily because we have freedom. I have no problem. You know, eating all the food that God says don't eat. Matter of fact, I like some of the food that God says don't like, don't eat. You know, I love shellfish. Now, shellfish don't love me as much anymore with my gout, but I love shellfish. <laughs> Always have. Uh, I don't eat much of it now, for, not because the Bible says not to, but because my body tells me not to. I I like eating rabbit, <laughs> which is an animal that doesn't chew the cud. Is it, you know? and is not allowed to be to be eaten. But, you know, we've got to be careful of what we do amongst people who are getting into this word, and they go, well, God says don't do this. Okay, fine, if you're going to want to be bound by the law, then that's fine, I'm not going to judge them. They can be bound by the law. We, you know, we've all come across the people who tell us, well, you've got to be worshiping on the Sabbath, Saturday, or else you're sinning. Well, that's fine and dandy, except that God's never put the Gentiles under that rule when you go through the scriptures it says the Sabbath is a sign between God and his people the Jews but you know I'm not gonna sit there and judge them for practicing on the Sabbath it's not a problem to me I don't church service on the Sabbath it's not a problem to me but I'm also not gonna bind ourselves under a bunch of laws and rules Because if I decide I'm gonna follow the Sabbath, then what am I gonna do on the new moon celebration that God said to do? Okay, am I gonna practice a a service every time the new moon shows up? God says to do that. He told the Jews to do that. He he gave them all kinds of extra times to worship. So if you wanna put yourself under the law, then you better put yourself under all the law, not just bits and pieces that you wanna choose to fight and argue over. God has also given us grace and mercy to choose. And he'll teach us, there are so many times when you're gonna be reading the scriptures and God's gonna say, I think you need to obey that. And you know what, you, you better obey it once he tells you to obey it. I've sure. shared with many people, uh, and if you know me, I'm, I'm very political, I've, I've not, I'm free with my political stances. But a few years back, you know, several years back ago now, there was a particular president that I couldn't stand. I thought he was almost as bad as our current president. And I was very open in talking about it. And God kind of came to me and said, are you praying for the man? I'm going, of course not. I don't want him to be in office. And God says, well, quit talking about him. Because I wasn't following his statement of praying for our government. And you know, when you think about this, when, when, our, when the scriptures were reading and they said, pray for... Leaders, especially in the New Testament, they were talking about guys like Nero. You know, Nero was a really wonderful friend of Christians. He just uh, liked to put them up on posts, uh, rubbing you know, soaking them in oil and lighting them on fire to to uh, put light on in his uh, gardens. You know, fed them to the lions, fed them to the you know, fed them fed him to the bears and you know would take them in the middle of the park and put heavy weights on them until he crushed them to death. Would tie ropes to every extremity and have oxen pull them in in four directions at the same time until they literally were ripped ripped, uh, into pieces. This was the man that Peter, James, Paul said to honor and pray for. Do we pray for our government even when we don't like them? Most don't. Most don't, but yet we're to put ourselves in subjection subjection to our government. The disciples would preach the gospel. They were told by the leaders, don't preach the gospel. And they preached the gospel and their answer was, we need to obey God rather than men. But in the process, they knew when they disobeyed men and the government, that the government was authority and the government had the permission to punish them. Now, according to God's standard, they shouldn't have punished them, but they made the rules. When we choose to disobey men to obey God, be ready to take the punishment for disobeying men. We're coming very quickly to a time when we're going to make these type of decisions. Who are we going to obey? Are we going to obey the government or are we going to obey God? God. I'm hoping that everybody here is going to obey God. I plan to obey God which will mean at some point I will end up in jail for preaching God's Word I'm going to call homosexuality a sin I'm going to call fornication a sin I'm going to call adultery a sin at some point that is going to get me accused of hate crimes and sent to prison I know it will I'm not going to stop doing it because I'm willing to be as the disciples I've got to obey God rather than men We're getting into this whole gender identity stuff. I mean, it it was not enough thinking about homosexuality. But to come along and tell me that I gotta take and treat a guy as a woman because he decides that he's a woman, whether he has all the body parts of a man or the other way around, a woman and treat her like a man because she decided that she's a man, or there's this other crazy area where they don't know what they are so we have to treat them as an it. You, you laugh, but there are laws that the government has passed beyond just this illegal law that they're trying to push through that talk about this whole transgender, gender identity garbage. God created male and female. Mm-hmm. He didn't create mixed, mixed up It's. <laughs> it's yes. or, or somethings. He created male and female. The fact that they don't think they are isn't, isn't our problem. We want to take a stand with God. That will get us in trouble at some point. Will get us in trouble. I think it's really bad because it creates all kinds of potential problems. Because they're, they're not even saying that you have to prove that you believe this. It's just that you could walk in and say, well, I, today, I feel like I'm uh, you know, the other gender, and I'm just going to go use their bathroom so I can be boyer. This is where we're at. The Bible told us in the end days that there would be good called evil and evil called good. It's amazing what people were saying about marriage and fidelity and monogamy. All of this stuff is going on right now and people are saying it's bad. We a psychologists saying that it's bad. You, know, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't be locked into these narrow-minded thoughts. We need to stand on God's word. It will get us in trouble at some point. We're gonna to get to the place where people are gonna say, "You know, well, there's many ways to, to heaven, and if you're gonna hold that narrow belief that only Jesus is the answer and the way, then we're gonna to have to lock you up because you're, you're, you're gonna cause us problems. It's not far away. The laws are already out there on the books. They haven't applied them in America yet, but they're on the books. We need to be ready. We need to be ready to be submitted to God and ready for the punishments that come along with it. It is a very scary thing. It starts, though, with even this one, being submitted in the family. How much of the family has been destroyed? You talk to people, and they have this idea that, well, there is no real husband and wife role. It's just, you know, it is that old-fashioned biblical belief that, you know, that there's roles. God never said there aren't any anymore he didn't he didn't say we're gonna stop these most people will say uh, you know to have a good marriage you have to have 50-50 and we've all heard that you know it's a 50-50 proposition you know you both have to give in to the other God's way is another one of those really wonderful math problems he says it's hundred percent he says your body is not your own it belongs to your spouse he says you're to give yourself completely to the other person, to be one new person. And this is something that is so interesting at the end. It says, you know, that we're to love our lives as our own bodies. No man has ever hated their own body. Not quite so true in our day and age, but in, <coughs> when Paul wrote this, he understood that we, we cared for ourselves. But for the, the normal person, they make sure they eat. They make sure they get some sleep. And they generally try to keep themselves moderately healthy. <laughs> but very few people will purposely try to hurt themselves. And if they do, we know that they have other sicknesses in their, in their, in their brain if they're out to hurt themselves. Most people are not gonna go out and do something on purpose to, that will make them die. And men are supposed to love their wives just as they love themselves. But I love this in verse 31. For this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. When we are truly loving one another, we become one. If you've been married with somebody long enough, you you actually do see that happening where you start oftentimes thinking very closely to the same way. You know, uh, if you've seen somebody married for 50 or 60 years, and they start answering, uh, finishing each other's sentences, <laughs> because they know exactly what the other ones—they've they, drawn so close that they know exactly how the other one thinks. But also, they started to come together in that one flesh mentality. We see it even in the church when we, when we're totally submitted to God, and the church is submitted to Jesus as it's supposed to be, and they go one mind, one, one direction. When a, trouble ha- when a church has all kinds of people going every direction at the same time, the church is in trouble. Because number one, it's hard to get things done. If people do not have the same heartbeat for the lost, and this happens in some churches where they're not looking to get the lost. All they want to do is say, we, we got ourselves in this little group, we're happy with one another, there's nobody here to cause friction. Because you know what, when you bring new people, newly saved people into a church, they don't fit in very well sometimes. Maybe they don't fit in just because they're excited for God. I love being around new Christians. They're excited for God. They think God can do anything. And you know, it's usually when we've been around long enough, we know that God can do anything, but we don't ask him to do anything. We're, we're just happy with where we're at. God, you can do anything. You could, you could fill up the whole church with people, but God, we're, I'm happy with the small group we have. I don't want to see a whole bunch of people. You know, I've actually heard that comment in churches that have grown. I miss the days when it was only the, the, the 50 of us, and now there's 400 of us. We want to be careful with that. God is looking for us to reach the lost world. He wants us to be able to reach out and minister to those, invite people, get to know the lost world. Because if we don't, their destination is hell. Their destination is hell. And I don't want to see anybody go to hell. And neither do you if you really understand how bad hell is. To be separated from God for all of eternity. To be in a fire that has all the pain of a fire with no deliverance from that fire. The conscience burning in you for all of eternity. Have you ever done something wrong, you knew it was wrong and your conscience bothered you and, it, and you finally came to the place where you confessed to God and your conscience was eased? Well, in hell, they can't confess. They can't have their conscience solved. They're going to know that they're there because they chose it for all of eternity. Darkness, pain, emotional pain, physical pain. This is what hell is all about for eternity. We can't It's so cavalier that we want to see people go to hell. We need to be motivated to share the gospel with them. Even if they're going to not like us for doing it. Because I can tell you one thing I want to know is that I've shared the gospel with my family so that if they reject God, they're not going to ever point to me and say, you're the reason I went to hell because you didn't share it with me. I've met people who just don't want to offend their brothers and sisters, cousins, aunts, uncles, grandparents, parents, in-laws, whoever it might be. They're afraid to share the gospel because they're afraid they're going to embarrass them or make them mad at them. I can't think of a worse time to be embarrassed when they get judged into, into hell at the white throne judgment and they kind of look over at you and say, why didn't you tell me about this? And I don't know that that will happen, but they will have that curse upon their throats that we didn't tell them. We need to share the gospel with everybody we know. We need to give that. We need to be submitted. We need to be submitted in all areas of our lives. Wives to their husbands, but the husbands enough to God that they love their wives. Then, if you love your wives the way God loves the church, you're not going to have to have any problem with submission because the wife will know that she's loved. Just as we in the church do not have a problem submitting to Jesus because we know, or shouldn't have a problem submitting to Jesus because we know how much he loves us and cares for us. This is the importance. When somebody has to tell you that they're they're the boss, there's some problems. When I was a manager, I never had to remind people, hey, I'm the manager. I was confident that I was the manager. I said to do something I expected it I didn't have to go say I'm the manager I'm the one in charge any husband who has to come around and say I'm the husband I'm in charge has a problem number one they're not secure in their in their position but they're also probably not loving their their wife as the Christ loves the church they're probably not loving their children the way that the children need to be loved If you have to sit there and say, I'm in charge, you've got a problem. And this is true no matter what the authority is. If the government has to say, we're in charge, there's problems. And right now there are problems. They're trying to do everything against God, so they're having to put this thing, we're in charge because of all these other papers. A boss who has to say, I'm in charge, is not caring for his people enough to have them want to be serving. The husband who's saying, I'm in charge, is having problems loving his wife as Christ loves the church. A pastor who has to demand, you know, hey, you've got to call me pastor, I'm in charge of the church, has got some problems that he's not loving and serving the people. Jesus said to be great in the kingdom, he had to be the least. Oftentimes the leader serves, and the people will serve that person just because they know they're loved and cared for. That's real leadership as far as God's concerned. The person who loves the individual that that they're in charge of so much that they're willing to do the work if it takes it. They're willing to serve that individual if that's what it takes because they want to see that person grow into that submission and into that love. So our challenge today is learn what it means to be submitted. And for everybody who has got people that are supposed to be submitted to them, they're to be submitted to somebody else. Every leader needs to be submitted to God. And if they're submitted to God, they're going to be godly individuals. And the people under them can submit to them. But it's important to understand submission one to another, abiding abiding correctly under one another in the position that God has us in. And that means some of us are leaders, some of us are followers, but we're all followers in some area of our life as well. Now, very, I don't know anybody who is, who is a father, a pastor, the government, church member, you know, and above God. Now, don't know anybody who's got all those places to be. Everybody has something they have to be submitted to. And I am going to tell you submission is not easy. It is not easy to be submitted all the time. When everything's going right, it's real easy to be submitted. You know, you got somebody who's loving you, you got a nice boss, the government's making the right rules. It's pretty easy to be submitted under those conditions. The hard time to be submitted is when the government says that you can't follow God. and You have to stay submitted or take the punishment. When the boss is a total jerk, but it's his company, or at least his unit. (laughs) Sometimes very tough to be submitted. When things aren't going quite the way they're supposed to, that submission gets hard to do. The example I gave of being submitted to a pastor who I was absolutely sure even to this day was making a bad decision. I will never tell you his name because it's not something you need to know. I was convinced he was wrong, but I stayed submitted which amazed many people in the church when I stopped you know because I never said anything and when they when they moved their church from where it was to another location I stayed with them they go why are you staying with you we don't even didn't agree I go because God didn't tell me to leave you know I had to stay submitted until God said to leave sometimes you can leave like a church sometimes you can leave like a place of business Technically, we could leave our government, but you, a lot of people don't want to leave the country to get, rid, you know, get out from under the government. Though I've found more and more people that are. But in a family relationship, you can't just walk out of that relationship. You can't walk out of the relationship between you and God. Sometimes you're going to be stuck with that submission. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. Lord, we ask that you help us to learn proper submission. One to another, and to each of the places where we all have leadership above us, Lord. For the men, we ask that you teach us to love our wives as you love the church. Give up our desires at times so that they can be blessed and and helped along. Teach us to love, in a, in your way of loving, with agape love, sacrificial love, Lord. And you know. If there's anybody listening to this message, if they don't know you as your Lord and Savior, Lord, we ask that you convince them that they are sinners, that they deserve the punishment that's due them. And we accept that you paid that price and ask you to come into their heart and receive that gift of salvation that you have for each one of us. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.